church. Nice to see you all here today. I'm going to ask that um, we please stand as we read today's scripture together. Today's scripture comes from Acts 21, verses 15 to 40. Acts 21. After this, we started on our way to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Nason, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James, and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. Then they said to Paul, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come. So do what we tell you. There are four men with us here um, who have made a vow. Take these men, join them in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everyone will know there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, we have written to them our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, and from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. The next day, Paul took them, took them in and purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul in the temple. They stood up the whole crowd, seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian in the city with Paul, and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. The whole city was aroused, and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took the officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another. And since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. 
when Paul reached the steps. The violence of the mob was so great that he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed him kept shouting, away with him. As the soldiers were brought about, uh, as the uh, soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, may I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied, aren't you the Egyptian who started the revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? Paul answered, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. After receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were silent, he said to them in Aramaic, up until so far, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, it's with fear and trembling that I bring your word to the people, Father. It is your word. Every word in the Bible is inspired by you, and the Bible is infallible. Father, thank you that we have your word, that we can learn about you, we can learn about ourselves, we can learn about history. I pray that our hearts will be fruitful this morning, that it will be fruitful soil where your word can fall and take root. Ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Right, so as you know, we are going through the book of Acts, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And the theme of our, of our um, series is called Acts, the Gospel in Motion. And um, we've seen Paul has set his eyes on Jerusalem for quite a while now. In fact, we saw that Paul has received numerous warnings about going to Jerusalem. For example, last week in Acts 21 verse 4. He said, and through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. But Paul already knew this. Remember what he said in Acts 20. He said, and now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But... My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And even in other verses, in Acts 19, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Acacia. After I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. And then last week, if you remember, Acts 21, verse 13, he also said, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? Why do you make it difficult for me? I'm determined to go on to Jerusalem. I'm ready to die there. Okay, so up until this point in Paul's missionary journeys, he has been imprisoned, he's been flogged, and he's been stoned to near death. And yet, he's ready to continue his mission even against these warnings. Now, as Robert mentioned last week, if you look at the commentaries, you'll see some conflicting commentaries. Some would say that what is going on here, Paul is being warned by the people through the Holy Spirit, 
not to go to Jerusalem. But the Bible also said that Paul, feeling compelled by the Holy Spirit to go. We must note that the Bible said the Holy Spirit did not forbid him to go, but that it warned him of the cost. So why this insistence to go to Jerusalem specifically? I mean, every city, every town had a synagogue. Synagogue is a Greek word that means place of assembly or place of meeting. And these synagogues were Jewish community activity centers. People took part in worship, reading scriptures, prayer. And sometimes these synagogues were even used as local courts of justice. We saw in Matthew 15 where Jesus said, be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. And then also in Matthew 13, verse 34, Jesus said, Therefore, I'm sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. Right, so there were synagogues everywhere, but there was only one temple. And that temple was in Jerusalem. We saw in, in Acts 20, Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. So not only was Paul going to Jerusalem, he wanted to be there for a specific Jewish feast. Remember, Paul is a Jew. When he was younger, he trained under a very famous Pharisee named Gamaliel. And he learned to follow the Mosaic law faithfully and legalistically. So, Paul is a Jew. He wants to get to Jerusalem where the temple was. And he wanted to be there by Pentecost. Even though the Holy Spirit has been warning him, his stay will not be pleasant. So he doesn't know the details of exactly what will happen. But he did say that imprisonment and affliction awaits him. Paul must have remembered the, the, um, the, uh, that God has promised his faith long ago. If you remember Acts 9, it said, it was in Acts 9, verse 15 and 16, the Bible says, But the Lord told, said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Paul was ready to suffer for, for Jesus. And we think about us, for us today, are we ready to suffer? Are we willing to count the cost of following Jesus? Remember Jesus said in John 15 verse 20, he said, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And even in our study in Acts, in Acts, 15, in Acts 14, 22, it says, Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Okay, no one likes to suffer. I don't like to suffer. And I'm sure Paul didn't like to suffer. And luckily, thank God, not every Christian will have to suffer for their faith. But when we look through Scripture, and even if we look through history, we will see that 
lots of people have suffered for their faith. In fact, I might even go so far to say that it, it's not the exception to suffer for your faith, but it is the norm. As I said, um, I'm sure Paul didn't enjoy suffering either, but he, he saw the bigger picture. He, he knew that this world was not the final destination. We are, in fact, pilgrims in this world, and we are still on our way home. We must have eternity in our hearts. And because we have a sovereign God, we know that none of our suffering is random or without purpose. Amen. Right, so we, Paul is a Jew. He wants to go to Jerusalem where the temple was in time for Pentecost. Now, what, what is this? Is What is Pentecost? In fact, the Greek word for 50th is Pentecost. Pentecost indicates the 50th day after the Passover feast. So Paul must have missed the Passover feast, but he was determined not to miss Pentecost. Now, the New Testament Pentecost coincides with the Old Testament Feast of Shavuot. And the people gathered in Jerusalem. We saw that in Acts 2, um, in previous um, Pentecost, that people gathered in Jerusalem, and they were Torah-keeping or law-abiding Jewish people who lived outside of Israel. So they made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for this feast. They were normally Jews from other nations, from Gentile nations. They journeyed to Jerusalem as commanded to participate in the commemoration of the giving of God's law on Mount Sinai to Moses, as well as the grain harvest, harvest um, for the summer. So in biblical times, Shavuot was one of three main festivals in which Jewish men was expected or commanded to go to Jerusalem. Right, that's how we get to today's scripture, Act 1, the church meeting. So that from 15 to 25. So when Paul gets to Jerusalem, he goes and visits James, who is the brother of Jesus and also the leader of the local church in Jerusalem. And all the elders were present also. He gives them a detailed account of his missionary journeys. The Christians rejoiced over the success of his mission to the Gentiles. But there was a rumor going around. Note that the, the, Christian, um, uh, um, the Christian church in the meeting, they did not accuse Paul of anything, but they made him aware of this rumor that was going on. And this rumor was that Paul taught Jewish converts to disown their Jewish roots, to forget about the law, to despise the temple, to get rid of the customs of the Jews. Okay, we know that, of course, was a lie. We see in verse 21 that circumcision is singled out because it was considered the main sign of God's covenant with the Jews. Now, remember, circumcision was instituted by God and Israel, or for Israel. It's part of a covenant between God and Abraham and Abraham's descendants for generations to come. That was in Genesis 17. So it was a mark that set them apart as God's people. And because it was a covenant, they had to do it. It was no free choice. It's 
not something they chose to do, something they had to do. Now, when Jesus fulfilled the law, and we as followers of Jesus must also be set apart as his people, but not by a physical mark, but rather by a changed heart, by being born again. Paul introduced this idea of circumcision of the heart in Romans 2.29, which refers to having a pure heart separated unto God. Paul writes, No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law, rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Spirit. Okay, we saw earlier in Acts, as you can remember, there was confusion among certain Jewish Christians. They mistakenly believed that followers must be circumcised and adopt their customs of the Jews in order to be saved and then be followers of Jesus. They believed that becoming a Jew first was your gateway to the kingdom. Remember, we saw this in Acts 15, where it says, Certain people came down from Judea and Antioch and were teaching believers, unless you are circumcised, according to the customs by Moses, taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. And we saw back then that the church decided that's not necessary, that Gentiles do not have to be circumcised in order to be saved. Right, so why, why does Paul get accused of this? Because he was preaching to the Gentiles. And let's see what Paul's view was on circumcision. First in Romans 3, 29 and 30, Paul said, Or is he God of the Jews only? Is he not also God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who justifies the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. And then again in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 18, we see Paul's thinking on the matter. He says, Was a man already circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Right, so... So we can see his view on circumcision, especially for Gentiles. They did not have to do it. But what about this accusation? Was he telling Jews to forsake circumcision? Well, in fact, Paul did not abolish circumcision for the Jews. We see in Acts 16, verse 13, he allowed Timothy, whose mother was Jewish, to be circumcised. Acts 16, verse 3 says, Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived there. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Okay, Paul made a clear distinction between Jews and Gentiles. He even said in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 19 and to 23, he said that among the Jews, I became a Jew. Among the Gentiles, I became a Gentile. So what was Paul doing here? Can we say that Paul was adapting to culture for the gospel? And that, that, that begs another question. What about us? Should we be able to adapt to cultures for the gospel, for the sake of the gospel? 
Of course we must, but we must be very careful when we do that because there's another question that we have to ask. Are we just avoiding offending people? Is that why we're adapting? Is the Christian motto that because God is love, so we should strive to always get along with people, especially for the sake of the gospel or for the sake of peace? We should never offend people when we see that we, 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 we're now on, on hollowed ground and people get easily offended, should we back off? Well, let's just remind ourselves that Paul did not have a soft spine, right? He could adapt to circumstances, but he did not have a soft spine. If he never offended anyone, he never would have been persecuted. He never would have been jailed, never would have been flogged or stoned. So should we strive for peace at all costs? Hmm, I wonder, what if the truth is at stake? Let's look at Jesus. What did Jesus say when he was questioned by Pilate? He said in John 18, 37, he said, In fact, for this reason I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Well, that, that's, that's a powerful statement by Jesus, the Son of God, to say that the reason he came into the world is to testify to the truth. And everyone on the side of truth listens to him. Notice that Jesus said there are sides, a wrong side and a right side. When we compromise the truth, it can lead to wrong doctrine that will lead us to a path that ultimately is unchristian. For instance, in Africa, I'm from South Africa, and in Africa, there are a lot of Bible-believing Christians. But there's also a saying about the general church in Africa that there's a lot of Christians. It's like a river that's, that's a mile wide. That's how many Christians there are. But that same river is only an inch deep. It's because a lot of the Christians in Africa mix their Christianity with something else, with ancestor worship. So that deep roots that you need to be, to, to, um, to be a biblical believing Christian gets lost. If, they, if, if, they get, um, if there's anything that happens that they feel they need an answer to, they are not above going to ancestor worship to get their answers then. Or even in India, Pastor Gareth has given us a lot of examples where he has encountered Christianity being mixed up with Hinduism, right? Or I remember Brother Haytham. He told us the story that um, it was very difficult for him to find a church where he comes from in Jordan for the simple fact that he wasn't born a Christian. They were skeptical of him because he was saved, but he was not born a Christian, so he hasn't been part of the church from, through his family. So they didn't welcome him. They were very skeptical of that, right? All, all of these examples are examples of, of can be traced back to truth being compromised. To be more accommodating to culture or to not be able to differentiate between your culture and what is truth, what is Christianity. So eventually it led to wrong beliefs, right? So to answer this question, we can adapt to different circumstances, but we should never compromise the truth. 
we should be able to speak the truth in love. Okay, returning to the scripture for today, they were discussing this rumor of Paul teaching the Jews to forsake their Jewishness. And the solution that was suggested was to take the Nazarite vow with four other men and even to pay the expenses. And by the way, paying the expenses, it was not a cheap thing to do. What is the Nazarite vow? So there's um, a period of, it's, it's where people are set apart for a period of time to dedicate themselves to the Lord. And it included a seven-day period of purification that normally happened during Pentecost. And then some outward signs of this vow was no strong drink, letting your hair grow. And then um, after the 30 days, they would cut off the hair and burn it with sacrifices. Right, and so Paul agrees to go along with this. That's how we get to Act 1, Paul in the temple. Paul agrees and goes to the temple with the four men to be purified with them. Now, that actually begs a question, if you think about it. Some commentaries ask that, was Paul sinning by agreeing to do this? Because it says in verse 24, that everyone will know that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. Okay? Some others then suggest that, no, Paul wasn't sinning. He was adapting to customs. Because he did say, when I'm with a Jew, I'm Jew. And with the Gentiles, I become a Gentile. Well, the thing about commentaries are that they are very valuable to us. And it's very good to have commentaries to, to go deep into the Bible, to get background of what's happening. But there's one thing we must always remember. Commentaries can have mistakes, but God's Word does not have any mistakes. God's Word is infallible. It comes from God Himself. Now, whether... Whether Paul was sinning or not is an open question. So all we know is that the Bible does not clearly say that Paul was sinning by going along with their suggestion. Now, thousands of Jews came to Jerusalem for Pentecost. Remember in Acts 2 verse 5, it mentioned that, the previous Pentecost, it said, now they were staying in Jerusalem. God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven so among these visitors who traveled and who were in the temple when Paul was there were Jews who recognized Paul. Jews who recognized Paul as the troublemaker in their towns. And they could not believe that this guy, that was, they saw him as a blasphemer. And here he was in the temple. How dare he be in the temple? We saw on more occasion that people tried to kill Paul. That's how offended they were by his message that some of the Jews tried to kill him, but that he always got away. But now some of them were here in Jerusalem in the temple, and, they've, and they see him. Verse 27 says, these were Jews from Asia. So, they were offended and infuriated by the presence of Paul in the holy um, city in the temple. So they stir up the, the people, quickly a mom, uh, mob formed, and they dragged him out of the temple which, by the way, is breaking a Jewish law. They stood up the rest of the crowd by saying, by saying he even took a Gentile into the temple because they saw him with a Gentile in Jerusalem. The temple, why can't you take a Gentile into the temple? Well, the temple is, um, 
if you look at the temple, there's basically three sections to it. There is the inner sanctum, the holy of the holies, which could only be entered once a year and by only one person, the high priest. And it could only happen on the Day of Atonement. That's the Holy of Holies. Outside of that, you had the Holy Place, which is where Jews could enter. And lastly, we have the Outer Court, also called the Court of the Gentiles, where Gentiles could be, but they could not enter any further. In fact, at the entrance of the Holy Place, there was a sign that read, warning, all foreigners to enter would be a capital offense. And that sign was in both Greek and in Latin. Now Josephus, a famous Jewish historian from that time, said that even the Roman occupiers were careful not to stir up the Jews about their religious rules. And that the Roman occupiers would often carry out the execution of Gentiles who disobeyed this warning. Okay, so we see that fake news is not new. It's not something new. Paul did not commit the sacrilege. But as the rumor spread, we see that the whole city became in uproar and disturbed. They dragged him out of the temple, sealing the temple doors behind him, shutting down the gates, and, was probably, and this was probably done to prevent further defilement of the sanctuary. The crowd was in a frenzy, and at any moment, they could have killed Paul. That's how we get to Act 3, Romans to the rescue. Now, the Roman soldiers, they were housed in the Herodian fortress, also known as the Tower of Antonia. And it was on the northwest corner of the temple wall. And it had a high tower. And this tower um, allowed them to have a full view of the temple area. This tower, this fortress also had two separate stairways that went down directly to the temple grounds. So they could very easily respond to any uproar in the temple itself. Okay, and that's exactly what happened here. The noise comes to the Roman guards. The fortress was connected to the temple. So they were on the scene very quickly, which was a very good thing for Paul as the crowd was trying to kill him. Now, the commander, the Bible says the commander was a military tribune. A military tribune is in charge of up to a thousand troops, including a few centurions. A centurion is someone who's in command of a hundred troops. Now, we see that the commander himself, together with a few centurions, goes down to see what's happening. They descended on the scene. That indicates to us that if the commander with a few centurions are going down, obviously a few hundred Roman soldiers join them. And what does that mean? It means like whatever was happening here with Paul wasn't just a small skirmish. That was something big. In fact, in verse 31, it says that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. So the Romans descended on the scene. Immediately the beating stopped. They arrested Paul and they tried to find out what's going on. What's the story here? But as you know, it's hard to ascertain the truth in the middle of a mob. With everyone explaining all at once what's going on. So they decided to get Paul to safety. The uh, soldiers surrounded him and they carried him. But because of the angry mob was still trying to get to him. 
to punch or to kick or to hit him or whatever. They had to pick him up and carry him. The mob followed and they shouted, away with him. Now, away with him doesn't mean just get him out of our sight. Away with him is a way of saying, get rid of him, kill him. Right? Now, um, isn't it ironic that this is happening in the temple, that 27 years earlier, Jesus heard similar words that Paul is hearing today, away with him. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander in Greek, may I say something to you? Because he spoke Greek, the commander thought suddenly that this might be the Egyptian Jew we are looking for, a known criminal, an assassin. During this time, most Egyptians actually spoke Greek because this was just a few centuries after Alexander the Great has conquered Egypt. And Josephus, again, the historian, tells us, tells us of a battle that ensued where followers of this Egyptian Jew were arrested and killed. But this Egyptian escaped with some 4,000 of his followers, and they were living in the wilderness around Jerusalem, being a wanted man, but always slipping away, never being caught. Now, his followers were assassins, and they would come into the city and kill Roman sympathizers by stabbing them amid large crowds. So you can imagine this uh, Roman tribune thought, now I've got him, I've got this wanted man. We see Paul immediately setting the record straight. Immediately he says, no, no, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus, and I was brought up in Jerusalem. In Tarsus, Paul would have spoken Greek. And as a Jew, he would have been also fluent in Aramaic. So Paul asks the commander, says, can I speak to the crowd? The commander must have thought, why would Paul want to address the crowd that he's trying to kill him? We see that the commander does, request, uh, does grant Paul his request. Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were silent, he addressed them in Aramaic. Okay, what follows is one of the best defenses for his ministry, which we will look at next week. I'll leave you on that cliffhanger. <laughs> Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Father, that this is history, this is real, and we know that these things happened, and it's verifiable that it happened in historical records. But Father, I pray that, that you will please work in our hearts. Please plant these words in our hearts, that it will grow and take root. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.